We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. I have a super sticker from TRAM28. Thank you very, very, very much for that uh, for that super sticker. He also had a super chat from t- oh. TRAM28. Will Notre Dame try to land a second tight end in the 2024 class? I think Jack Larson could be a stud, but I actually like Brady Prescorn out of Michigan a little bit more. So I'll just address this one really quick. The plan as of right now, according to our sources, is that they're only going to take one tight end, but I do believe they are still recruiting other tight ends because that's not a definitive. So as of right now, based on numbers, based on the roster, they're only going to take one. But I think that ultimately will change as the roster changes. So I just quickly address that one and and, and get to that that answer. And it's a so, good it's a good tight end group in twenty twenty four as well. Very so that could change very, also. Yeah, very. It may be a kid that you because it it also is. We thought we were going to get this number there, and so now we're going to take here. Those are all part of the conversation that will, that will adjust that. And I honestly think at the end of the day they will end up with a second tight end. It's just right now, when you talk to sources, they're just they're just focused on one right now. Hulk Strongest, what's up, guys? Actually, what's up, guys? I keep hearing people say that Notre Dame is a middle-of-the-pack team in the SEC, but besides Bama and Georgia, who else beats them? Any thoughts? I, I have one thought, first of all. <laughs> SEC fans are so obnoxious. Like, every Ohio State's a middle-of-the-pack, you know, everybody's a middle-of-the-pack SEC. Like, give me a freaking break. Your conference isn't that good, right? I mean, you got your butts kicked by ACC teams in the bowl games last year. You know what I mean? Like, whatever. But, okay, anyway. So that's my initial shade reaction. But, but Vince, your thoughts on Notre Dame being a middle-of-the-pack SEC team? You're muted. Yes, sorry. I was look. I, I was pulling up. I wanted to make sure I had all the teams in front sure. of me. So I, want, okay. I, was, I was pulling up the SEC teams, and – as I'm looking at this, uh, I tend I, middle of the pack means there's seven or eight teams that are better than Notre Dame. Right. Right. I mean, there's 14 teams in the SEC right now, about to be 16. Okay. But I still think Notre Dame is better than Oklahoma and Texas. So that doesn't matter to me. Hmm. And when you're looking at the teams in the SEC right now, they're like a top five team in the SEC. Easily. They're a top three team in the SEC. Fair enough. I was trying to be a little bit more right. vague, but 
nine. Right. Yeah, no, I mean, you're absolutely right. They're not middle of the pack. I'm sorry, not even close. Who's, who's number three out of Al- after Alabama and Georgia? Are we going Texas A&M? Like, who, who's the next I team? I think Notre Dame you wins know? that game, like, too. Florida, so, LSU, well, the team that Notre Dame is 2-0 and against. during their, yeah. Like, here's the deal. Right. Bama smacked Notre Dame twice, right? Fair we enough. We agree. Yep. Notre Dame, Georgia, during a time when Georgia was really good, year they went 12-2 and two in a year where they were the national runners-up, Notre Dame lost by one and six, and in both games had the ball at the end with a chance to go win, right? That was not a butt-kicking. They <laughs> beat Vanderbilt. It was an ugly game. They beat them. They played like crap and, and still beat, beat Vanderbilt. Yeah. They've beat LSU twice. So where is this dominance from the SEC over Notre Dame? Because yeah. remember, 2014, Notre Dame's got no – they were touchdown underdog against LSU. 2017, oh, LSU, they're going to beat Notre Dame. And Notre Dame beat them both times and beat them physically both times, right? That's the other aspect of this. So it, it's – it's 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 look, SEC fans are just obnoxious, to be honest with you. And 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 really have no understanding of anything outside of their division. Like right. that's what like Ohio State fans, uh, uh, the ones that engage with us on 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 YouTube outside of Archer, they have no clue. Like one guy was like, "What? Remember that I had that show where I kind of compared the, the the depth charts, and mm-hmm. I said, you know, you look at Notre Dame's defensive line. Notre Dame should be considered having the best defense. They have the advantage of the defensive line. And I said Notre Dame's best defensive lineman." has had more sacks last year than all of Ohio State's five stars. And the guy was like indignant. Like, I can't believe you say that. And I'm like, he has no clue who Isaiah Foskey is. None. Exactly. None. And I'm like, he has more he had more sacks last year than Zach Harrison has in first career by several. And all the three five star defensive ends they had last year, Isaiah Foskey had more sacks than all of them. Riley Mills had the same number of sacks last year as Jack Sawyer. Same number of sacks last year as Zach Harrison. Because Justin Adamiola has twice as many. The point is, there's so many fans, and this is what I respect. This is why we treat Archer with respect, why we treat Ladarius with respect. When Antoine used to come in here, we treated him with respect because I respect other fans that want to actually engage and learn and, and with other teams. Become educated about Yes, it. because yeah. it drives me nuts when people will make arguments. Well, this team sucks. Well, name me three people on that roster. Oh, I can't. I just know they suck. Okay. Just How they suck? suck. You know? They well, they're, they're not my team, so they must suck. You know? Uh, it's just like, come favorite. on. Let's don't be stupid. And and you get a lot of that with Ohio State fans. All due respect <laughs> to Archer. And you get a lot of that, even more of that, with SEC. And I can say that about Ohio State because I grew up in that freaking state. And trust me, I've been dealing with like fans that are ignorant of everything outside of their team my entire life. So uh, you know, it it um it's just something to kind of laugh at and just roll your eyes at and move on from to be and it's honest with you. a mid-tier SEC team is who Mississippi State, like are we, what are we doing here right now? Kentucky. I mean right. Kentucky might even be an upper tier net team now, yeah. right? right? Like, I mean who's, who's right. a mid-tier team in the absolutely uh, Auburn, right? Like Missouri? I, yeah, I just <laughs> You can't. I'm sorry. You're definitely not going to find seven teams better than Notre Dame. That would put them in the middle. No, no, it's not going to happen. Sorry. Yeah, it's patently absurd. Yeah. Now, was that true seven years ago? Yeah, definitely. Notre Dame had teams like that. Sure, there, there's no question. The problem is, is, is what what's funny to me is there's a lot of fans that are not Notre Dame fans that will say well you guys are still living on the history blah 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 blah. i'm like well you're doing the same thing with what you think notre dame is now you still think this is notre dame 10 years ago 
you know, you still think this is the slow, unathletic team right. that played Alabama in 2012. It's I, not. I say let them think that. It's not. Georgia fans will – and that's why you, you'll you actually hear more respect about Notre Dame coming from Georgia fans than any other SEC fans. Why? Because Georgia first saw it hand. firsthand. Like, yes, that's right. They almost beat us both times, right? Like, they have respect for Notre Dame. I remember watching – the when Notre Dame walked off the field against Georgia in 2019, there were Notre Dame fans there, like at the tunnel, clapping for them. But there were Georgia fans in that area clapping for the Notre Dame players too, sort of like a out of respect for like, hey, y'all, y'all brought it today. We we gained respect for you. And you'd hear Georgia fans saying that to Notre Dame fans walking out of the stadium. You know, I mean, it's same if if that's Ohio, you guys suck. You know, it's like that's Ohio State fans, right? But Georgia <laughs> fans were like, Can't hey, wait. you know what? We gained a lot Can't of respect wait. for you guys. Can't and, wait. You know, it's honestly it's why I have more respect for Georgia fans, and there there's. Dumb Georgia fans. There's dumb Notre Dame fans. There's dumb fans of every oh, fan base. No question. Hey, easy there. That's I, my people. Okay. Well, but, uh, You're not wrong. But, but, okay. but it's true. And we all know that. Yeah, right. Absolutely. But it just, what is, do those dumb people dominate your fan base or not? Like they do for Michigan, Ohio State? That's the bigger question yeah. for me. We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Trade Coffee sent us two new flavors after my wife filled out their quiz. Big City French Roast from Joe Coffee in New York City and Black Velvet from Atomic Coffee Roasters in Massachusetts. The Black Velvet was a dark roast with a note of burnt sugar, graham cracker, and malted milk balls. It was a very rich but smooth flavor that reminded her a bit of her favorite dessert, creme brulee. The Big City French Roast was also a dark roast, which is right up my wife's alley. And it was flavored with burnt sugar, baking chocolate, and roasted almonds. The smell in the kitchen while she was preparing a cup of coffee put a smile on my face, and she said the taste was even better and sweeter. And she didn't pick these flavors. They were chosen by Trade after she filled out a short quiz. You gotta give this a try. And Trade Coffee connects customers to the freshest and best tasting coffee they've ever made at home by partnering with the country's best craft roasters. These are independent businesses from big cities and small towns. Trade customers are truly impactful for these independent roasters, often being the largest source of new growth for them. Trade's coffee team actually taste tests thousands of coffees to keep 450 different kinds live and ready to ship every day. There's no one perfect coffee, but there is a perfect coffee for you, and Trade's human-powered algorithm will find it. Trade is so confident they'll match you right the first time that if they don't, they'll take your feedback, and an actual coffee expert will work with you to send you a brand new bag for free. Right now, Trade is offering new subscribers a total of $30 off your first order plus free shipping and handling 
when you go to drinktrade.com forward slash Irish. That's more than 40 cups of coffee for free. Get started by taking their quiz at drinktrade.com forward slash Irish and let trade find you a coffee you'll love. That's drinktrade.com forward slash Irish for $30 off. Good questions. Great, great questions today, everybody. John Wayne's Winchester. Uh, That's one of your favorites. Recently signed up for the message board, by the way. Ooh. The opening kickoff song by Drop Dropkick Murphy is okay, but it's literally titled Shipping Up from Boston. Last time I checked, Nerdim isn't located in Boston. What pre-kickoff song would you want instead? I don't really care about the title. I think it's a yeah, catchy song, but... What pregame kickoff song would you want instead? I honestly have never thought a second about this, guys. Nope. Do either of you have an opinion on that? I I, don't. I really don't. Yeah. A, a kickoff song is such a new thing anyway, right? I mean, I back when I was in the student section, it was, oh, uh, like, yeah. I like that. What was the Vince? Well, I, I missed it. What was you it? Me again? <laughs> uh, that, that's what <laughs> I like that better than a song, to be honest with you, because everybody's in unison. Everybody's doing yeah. it at the same time. And that's gone away a little bit, to be honest with you. So I like that better than music anyway. Whatever you're going to play, it it needs to be the band playing it, not not the, oh, you know what I mean? Like, that would be my thing. Like, we all they're coming that. out, play the, imp- the, you know, the, 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 you know, the song that they play that uh, from, from, I forget what it's um, I can't believe I'm drawing a blank on this, but the Star Wars song that they play, Vince. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah. Yeah, that, Notre Dame uh, will play that. The Notre Dame bands plays that a lot. I yeah. do something like that. You know, defense, whatever. I don't care. Just have the band play it, not some music blasted in. I don't really care about the kickoff music. I mean, the music they have is fine, and they only play yeah. it for the opening kickoff, right? I mean, like you said. So I think yeah, you know, the they're getting everybody yeah. hyped, and yeah, the whole thing. Yeah. I think we should do a pre-recorded of Vince making that noise again yeah. as the <laughs> kickoff. So. I'm, I'm all about that. I'm all about that. <laughs> Yeah. Here's one for you, Ryan. We have a, uh, a question from John A1 about recruiting. Is Dylan Edwards similar to Tutu Atwell from Louisville as far as use at wide receiver spots, explosive plays, et cetera? I don't hate it. I mean, Tutu was about 5'9-ish and 155 pounds. I mean, But I think that the comparison is more now. I doubt that Dylan Edwards, when he's a prominent player in college, is 155 pounds anymore. He'll probably be right. closer to 170. I, I, I think I wrote on the message board at some point, like, I mean, think of how DeAnthony Thomas was used at Oregon, right? Like, I'm not saying that he's going to be as good as DeAnthony Thomas because he was a darn good college player, but stylistically speaking, I actually like that one a little bit more because I do think that he can actually – come out of the backfield a little more like Tutu was only occasionally getting like some jet sweeps when he was at Louisville. Right. But the Anthony Thomas, like they would literally line up at running back sometimes and like give him toss sweeps and do all that type of stuff. Right. So I think that when you're looking at Dylan, I think he's a little more of a true running back than Tutu Atwell was obviously. So I would say more DeAnthony Thomas than Tutu. Next question. We actually, uh, we got enough. Well, no, we got that one from Brendan Manning. See here. Let's get down to some uh, questions down here. Here's an interesting one. Uh, John A1, Charlie Weiss wasn't a good head coach, but could he be a good offensive coordinator or quarterback coach in college football events? What do you think? I think he could. I, I think he was a, a – I mean, obviously he's a Super Bowl winning offensive coordinator. Okay? Yes. Mm-hmm. Did he have Tom Brady? Yeah, he did have Tom Brady. Okay? But he's still a very good offensive coordinator. But he had Tom Brady before Tom Brady became Correct. Tom Brady. Correct. Look, yeah. I will never question – Charlie Weiss's offensive 
you know, play calling or I, I mean, he was a good, he was good at it. Okay. And Notre Dame's offenses weren't necessarily the issue when Charlie Weiss was the head coach. if we're talking whistle to whistle, right? That wasn't the issue. He can recruit as an offensive coordinator. He can call good plays as an offensive coordinator. His issues were he had no idea how to run a program. He tried to run it like an NFL team, and that doesn't work when you're in college. Okay. You can't go out and get free agents. You can't, uh, you know, when somebody gets hurt, right? When somebody gets hurt, he had a bunch of backups that never got any time because they focused on the starters all the time. He didn't know how to run a program. That was Charlie Weiss's downfall. Okay. I think he could be a very good assistant coach. Now he's gotten to a point in his career where that probably wouldn't be the case unless he's just bored and that's what he wants to do. But I think he would be a very good coordinator and that probably would have been a better step for him. Now, I don't know that he would have taken that step as offensive coordinator of the Super Bowl champion New England Patriots to an offensive coordinator at a power five college level, but he needed to see how a college program was run. And he never had that opportunity. He only saw the NFL and so I think that was his big downfall. Kansas Jayhawk legends, Charlie Weiss, if we're being honest here. Uh, <laughs> but, yeah, I mean, the question is, that was, that was supposed to be a joke, but Brian didn't laugh again. He doesn't think okay. I'm funny anymore. I'm sorry. It's okay. Charlie Weiss could call a good offensive game, in my opinion. We saw it in New England. I think that there were several, a few years in Notre Dame where the offense was good. They had a lot of firepower at points, right? So I, I think, yes, he could recruit. He could call an offensive game. No doubt, like Vince said, there's not a top level ability there, right? Yeah. To to be the, like the overseer of everything, but I don't think I don't think play I don't think anybody I don't think most people would question that Charlie Weiss was a good play caller, right? He, but I but here's why I say my answer is no. Oh man, and the reason is is because uh, I've said this a million times in college football, much more in the NFL, it's more about what you do Monday to Friday than it is what you do on Saturday. And the problem that Charlie had is Charlie didn't stop knowing how to call a game in 07, 08, and 09. He just couldn't teach him how to play football Monday to Friday. That was the problem. And so that would be my big question where Brady Quinn was sort of this in, in Samarja and Stovall. They were sort of ready-made technical players when Charlie took over. Because the one thing I think the previous, and Vince, you and I have talked about this in shows in the past. The one mm-hmm. thing I think the, the Thai staff did a good job of, and there were very few things, <laughs> they actually taught fundamentals sure. well. Notre Dame never got beat because they were fundamentally unsound under time. I mean, they knew how to line up. They knew how to, you know, run decent routes and knew how to do all those things. They just didn't have – their schemes were terrible, and their best players were all real young. Well, those guys kind of went into their juniors and senior years when 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 Charlie was there. But after that, the, the they fell off a cliff because then it became about Charlie's guys that he recruited that they never taught how to play. Right. right. And that was the big thing. So – if if he was a quarterback coach, you know, OC, and 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 he was able to walk into a situation where, like, let's say Charlie, let's say Bill O'Brien left, like right before the season, like suddenly had to leave, there's some emergency, and then to hire somebody, and they hired Charlie Weiss. I'd say Bama would do pretty well this year mm-hmm. because Saban would demand certain fundamental things, but he's got a quarterback that's just ready to go. I mean, with Bryce Young, you aren't teaching Bryce Young how to drop, and he knows how to play then he would do well. But when the next year, when Bryce Young leaves, and he's got to coach a kid from scratch, he wouldn't do as well because he does, He never showed me the ability to teach kids how to play. You don't have to worry about that as much in the NFL. And that's why I think Charlie would not have been a good OC or quarterback coach. What's that? Guys, guys come to you ready-made. I mean, that's, right. that's what the NFL well, is. He kind of leaps around year to year from to teams that like already have established players and veterans and stuff. Yeah, Charlie will do well. But that's not, that's not real life. But I, I don't disagree with anything you guys are saying about calling a game. 
I just think in college more than the NFL, it, it's it's more important about what happens before you get to call a game. Yeah. You call a game and like like last year, perfect examples of Fiesta Bowl. What could Tommy Reese have done play calling wise in the second half to 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 answer the problems at none because they weren't taught how to play right now. Does Tommy Reese bear the responsibility of that as the offensive coordinator? I think he would tell you, yes, I'm the OC. The buck stops with me, but he can't coach the O-line. He can't coach the receivers. Right? So it's like, if you don't know how to play, I don't care what play calls you have. You have to know how to play. And that's why Oklahoma state was able to literally turn an offense for Notre Dame that they literally could not stop in the first half into one that could not move the ball with one flip and adjustment, walk the corners up. That was it. That was it. That's the only adjustment they made guys. And it's because they watched Notre Dame, do anything. That Notre Dame couldn't get off press coverage. So there you go. That's what it is. But. Yeah. That's your, why didn't they do that going yeah. into the game? Seriously. But, no, I, <laughs> Uh, I I would say, though, just to fight back here a little bit, Brian, I would say that if Charlie Weiss was the offensive coordinator and he was coaching for somebody like a Marcus Freeman, let's say, just for just for argument's sake. Right. And he had a really good staff around him. Okay, I think that might make up for some of the lacking points of Charlie Weiss. So then all he would have to do is call plays. All he would have to do is be the offensive, you know, brainchild and the fundamental stuff would be taken care of by the other assistant coaches. I realize he would have to coach a position and that position might not get coached up properly. I get that too. But if I'm bringing in Charlie Weiss as the head coach and I'm the head coach, I'm bringing him in as my OC. I'm making sure he's surrounded with guys who know how to coach the fundamentals. Did you say brainchild? I like that. Thank you. I'm going to steal that. (laughs) (laughs) Here's one from Tommy guns. Ryan, we'll start with you on this one. Of the preseason award watch lists, who do you think has the best shot to bring home their respective trophies? Ooh. What would you set the over-under at for how many of those Notre Dame players win? So obviously we've got mm-hmm. the things we've had so far, like the Mackie, the Bolitnikoff, the Doak Walker, there's been the Lombardi, the Nagurski, and Walter Camp, Maxwell, uh, there was the, the Thorpe or the no? Thorpe has come out because Brandon Joseph was on there. And then Lou Groza yeah. are the ones yeah. that off the top of my head that we have seen come out so far. I would I say mean, and, Lou- and they'll all eventually come out. So like, you sure, know, yeah, just name sure. all the, all the, all the different awards. I mean, there's not a Heisman trophy watch list. That's the only one that I don't think has a watch list, but like the Ronnie lot has a watch list. The Paul Horning award released a watch list yesterday. All those. Oh, yeah. so anyway, th- those are all the different ones. So, so question is, who, what one player has the best shot to bring home the respective trophy? And what's the over-under uh, at for how many of those awards Notre Dame players win? I was going to start with a joke, but I've been making too many jokes, so I'm going to move on here. <laughs> my, my, <laughs> that got a bigger laugh from Vince than your jokes. I know. I was <laughs> going to say the – All right, take your shot. I was, I was going to say the Lou Groza, but then I you know, yeah. didn't want to make That's a just joke, mean. So. I know, I know it is. I know I'm a mean guy sometimes. I would say the Mackey is number one for me, Michael Mayer, that t- top tight end in college football. Absolutely. My second one, Brian, would actually be Jim Thorpe with Brandon mm-hmm. Joseph. That would be okay. my second one. And Cam Horn, I think, has a chance to. I don't know if he made the list, but he has a he chance did not. to contend. Right. They can yeah, add, I'll say I'll add a midseason. Don't worry. Yeah, exactly. So those would be my two. I would set the over under on two and a half. Two and a half would be my. Mm. That'd be a lot. No yeah, I was going to go one and a half for me because, you know, just kind of uh, – because, like, I think Mayor Vince is your pick. Was that for your pick for the Mackey? 
hundred percent. Yeah. And I, and my next one would have been Patterson at center for the Remington, but he's not gonna play center. So yeah. that kind of take, I mean, he, I know he's on the watch list, but yeah. probably not gonna play center. So that takes him out of the yeah. running. For that. Yeah. I, 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 Ryan, I'm not going to completely poo poo your two and a half idea because I think when you look at like Foskey with the Bednarik and the Nagurski and some different things there, uh, you know, when you, I think the Outland, uh, or is that the mm-hmm. one that's that? No, the Outland's just interior players. Um, you look at, uh, like you said, uh, Cam Hart, Brandon Joseph. I mean, Brandon Joseph comes in with some notoriety. I think a lot of this has to do with you have to have some level of Reputation. notoriety, right? Yeah, because right. let's yeah. be honest, the voters for these awards aren't sitting there watching all these kids play. It's right. Right. stats it's- and are you on a good team, yep. right? Uh, that's just kind of the reality of it. So Joseph yeah. has the advantage of coming in with some reputation. Mm-hmm. And then I also think it's one of the offensive line awards. If Patterson does in fact play center, I, Vince, let's just say that happens, then I think you 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 yeah. go in there. I think some of the Notre Dame offensive linemen might have a shot at that too, because Ryan, you had noted something on Twitter the other day in, about the NFL draft. It's not a strong offensive line year in college football this year, and I could see one of the Notre Alt Fisher, Patterson, somebody kind of stepping up and like, oh, that dude, you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, so. I think we, I think we, I think we overlooked the fact that Audrey Estime already claimed the Doak Walker. Correct. So that one's Correct. already in the bag. Which yep. Is good. That's over. That's over. He's going to get that one. Um, you know, I, I think two and a half. I, I would take the under on that, I but I, I, I'm, I'm comfortable with that. The one and, and a half though would be the bet. Like that's where I would place it know. too, because what's that second one going to be? And could they do it? Yeah, they could do it. But that's the one and a half is the better spot for me personally because I think that's the marker. Like I think they'll win one. Will they win that second one? I don't know. So that's where I would set it. Mm-hmm. And that, I mean, if, if they if they get the, if they're get if they're plus one and a half, it means Norm's probably a playoff team this year. That's because unfortunately, that's just the reality of it. I mean, a lot of these awards are very similar to what the the Heisman Trophy award is. So anyway, uh, let's get to the next one. Here's a question, Ryan. I'll kick it to you. Uh, is there a top 10 team in 2022 who doesn't match up well with what we think Notre Dame will be this year? I mean, I I, I think – look, I think that the secondary is going to be very much improved in Notre Dame, and I think that the wide receivers are going to surprise us a little bit, right? But I think right now you have to say that Ohio State has a clear advantage at the skill positions, right? Like, I mean, that's mm-hmm. one that – if, if you're playing a in-the-trenches game with Ohio State and Ohio State is dumb enough to play that back with you, then I feel great about Notre Dame's chances. But the fact of the matter is, is that they're going to spread the football. They're going to try to take advantage of your their, you know, their advantages that they have out wide. So I would say probably Ohio State. You know, I so USC. I, I was thinking USC for a second, but I'm like, but they're – disadvantages in the in the in the uh trenches is so much that i don't think it's going to matter as much so you're counting usc as a preseason top 10 team well they were i mean they did they were named espn had them as one yeah i'm just i'm just asking i'll I'll use them in there so i the question i think is more of who doesn't match up well against notre dame not who does notre dame doesn't match up well against Oh, I completely so, misread the question. Yeah. That's why I read yeah, it the first time, and then Ryan started answering. I'm like, oh, I got to yeah. my answer. Yeah. <laughs> That's oh, why okay. we got to pay attention when I'm reading questions, I'm just, guys. I, I was reading <laughs> questions. Uh, yes. Um, North Carolina is my answer then. North yeah, North they're North not in the preseason top 10 this year. Oh, then there's no team then, Brian. Okay. I don't know what you you got Utah as a top 10 team that consistently. You've got uh, Texas A&M as a pretty consistent top 10 team. 
Michigan's a consistent top 10 team in a lot of these preseason top 25s. Uh, my first one's Texas A&M. I don't think Texas A&M matches up well against Notre Dame at all. I mean, when was the last time Texas A&M had a good wide receiver? Mike Evans, right? Uh, so I like mean, they, they had a, they had a good one going into this year, but he just got arrested for like right. gun violence well, or something. They have a fast one. You know, I, I don't know if I necessarily would call him good yet. I mean, I think they, he's got a lot to prove. And I like oh. Mac Johnson as a quarterback. He's a nice player, but he's not like a just dynamic guy. I don't think their offensive line losing Green is going to hurt them a little bit, in my opinion. For sure. Uh, but, uh, you know, I mean, the, the point about Anaya Smith is he had 47 catches for 509 yards last year, right? I mean, pretty like bad quarterback play, though. I get that. Bad. I get that. Yeah. But but the, that's not changing, right? I don't, sure. I don't know if Max Johnson just walks in and all of a sudden they're a – phenomenal hope, passing team right i hope i hope he's better than zach calzada i hope yeah it's we'll not see, saying a whole lot yeah you know right. and, and i don't think their own line's great they also lost their own line coach to usc he went to usc and i think their defense which wasn't great last year lost most of their best players in my opinion so a&m first of all shouldn't be a top 10 team but since they are that's a bad matchup for Notre, for them against notre dame and i think utah would have a hard time uh, stopping the Notre Dame offense, they, you because know, like look, like you pointed out to Ryan, mm-hmm. even when Utah's healthy, they have issues in the secondary against a team that can throw the football, and sure. that's why Oregon was a bad. They were a bad matchup for Oregon last year because Oregon couldn't throw. I mean, they, Oregon beat Ohio State, completing fifty less than fifty percent of their passes. You mm-hmm. can't do that against Utah because you can't run on Utah the way Ohio, right. where the way they could run on Ohio State. What Ohio State was able to do against a, what had been a good Oregon def, Utah defense all year was Ohio State could just get them in space and just say we're going to shred you. Now they don't have Devin Lloyd, you know, linebacker. Uh, you know, like I said, Clark Phillips is a heck of a corner, but if they only got one good DB, you can avoid that guy. Sure. And, and so, and I know Morgan Scal- Scally is a good defensive coach, I think, but he just they're going to have some issues, in my opinion, against teams that have any kind of speed on offense on the perimeter anyway. So I think that's another one uh, that I one. think would be a, a, a top 10 team. And, and yeah, look, I don't want to say Michigan because that would just be me hating on Michigan. But, you know, there's some areas where I think Michigan's going to have a bit of a tough time if they were matched up against Notre Dame. But I think there might be some areas where, you know, Notre Dame may have a couple issues where they got to, okay, how are they going to, you know, Michigan's got decent receivers this year. They got, they, they got balance at receiver, no great players, but with Ronnie Bell back, they got some speed there. They got some size there with Cornelius Johnson and a couple other guys. You got Blake Corum coming out of the backfield. If JJ McCarthy's their quarterback, I'd be more concerned about that offense because he can run around and scramble. But if Cade McNamara is their quarterback, then I have no issue defending Michigan. If, if I'm Notre Dame. That's fair. There's no doubt. And I think their defense would have some issues against the Notre Dame offense though. I do too. The speed. I don't think they're going to be able to get off, get in the quarterback's face enough. Yep. All right. Sean Kane asks, how would Lou Holtz's coaching style translate to today's game and today's players? Well, his coaching style is fine, right? It, it would be his I, – I think the bigger issue would be his offensive philosophy. I mean, that would have to be updated, right? But his coaching style, look, he is the – I won't say he's the definition of a player's coach because he's not. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying he he he's a motivator. That still resonates in college football. Okay, he's a motivator. Just look at IU for example, right? He, he that resonates. Okay, uh, so I think that would fit just fine. He's a disciplinarian. Okay, that's okay too if you've got the right guys that are playing for you. And since you're recruiting those guys, I don't see that as being a problem either. He is a captivating person in the living room as well. Mm-hmm. So he would be a master recruiter, 
even this day and age. I have no sure. doubt about it. So I think his coaching style would translate no problem to today's game, but he would just have to make sure that his offensive philosophy translates right. to 2022. I mean, oh, you're like, Brian would love if the triple option was back. I know he would. Uh, you're just I know trying to would. tick me off today. You're I, just trying I, to get me going. No, I, I was just going to say though, Brian. I do I do agree with Vince? I think that I think Lou Holtz touches every side that you need to touch. Right? right? Like he's a motivator. To your point, he is also very heavy on discipline. I, there's a balance there, which I think sure. Parents are going to love both sides of the coin. Players are going to like both sides of the coin when you really kind of look at it. And I think that he's he would be able to recruit in today's era. It's just mm-hmm. a question of how quickly he can adapt to different schemes and that's that's the main question obviously i think lou holtz is a is a smart coach he Mm -hmm. would know there's certain things that were okay to do back then that nick saban is i mean back guarantee you nick saban snatched up many a face mask in his career (laughs) many a face mask right can't do that now right right? lou holtz literally put a referee in a headlock I mean, no, he was joking, but like, like pretty funny. But he still did yeah. it, right? Lou Holtz, you can't do that. Lou now. Holtz wouldn't. There are certain things physically that he wouldn't do that he that he did then. You talk to players because it was okay back then, and and right. I, I think it's fine now. It's just you know we're sensitive uh, people now. But <laughs> the thing, the only question for me is, would he be willing to go modern with how they play the game? Right. Now, my only fear with Lou Holtz, if he was like, let's say he was still coaching, is. Would he have like this really old, generic, pro style? Like, I don't think he'd be trying to run the option anymore, right? I think he would have right. evolved out of that because sure. I don't remember him running it. T- he didn't run it at South Carolina. That's what I was going to say. I don't remember him running it at South Carolina. They ran a. They were. They were more of a pro style system because they yeah. had like Sidney Rice at receiver. Right. And what was that? Right. Blake Mitchell at quarterback right. was an okay player. And yeah. yeah. So I don't think he would still run the option, but I still think it would be a run the ball conservative try to win 27 like that would be my concern if sure. he would he embrace the, the need to say hey, we got to be able to score like nick say i think he would because we saw nick saban do it yeah i mean the way and ryan I, I think you and i've talked about this the way that nick saban's recent teams have competed for and won championships is a 180 from how his first few teams competed for no and doubt. won championships and that's the mark of a great coach and, and, and so, you know, and, and that's something that I think hurt Urban Meyer and why Urban Meyer didn't win as many titles as he should have with some of the talented teams he had is because yeah. he wasn't willing to adapt his offense, you know, and I think that that hurt them at times. Some more questions here. Let's see. We've got this one, Ryan. This I'll kick this one to you. This is definitely a good recruiting question. Thanks for being here. You're welcome, Don Grizz. With all the fans focusing on Peyton Bowen and Caleb Downs, it seems like people are sleeping on a Don Schuler. How do you compare the games, floors, and ceilings for those three? I'm going to kick this to Ryan for two reasons. Number one is he's our recruiting guy. Number two, Ryan is very high on a Don Schuler and will appreciate this question. <laughs> and not just because he's from Jersey. Because nope. he's a good football Although, player. Doesn't hurt. Even though, even though I am hurt. going to get up, I am going to get up to a couple of Irvington games this year, though, Love just it. to watch a Don. But uh yes, I would say that he may be Domer Gray's, in my opinion. A Don Schuler might be the most underrated recruit that Notre Dame has in their class I feel like no one talks about him because like you said they talk a lot about Peyton Bowen and for good reason fantastic player incredibly mm-hmm. gifted it's like a high four three low four four type of athlete like incredible upside they talked a lot about Caleb Downs before he committed to Alabama because Caleb Downs in my opinion is one of the top five to ten players in the 2023 class fantastic football player Adon Schuler hits I think he's just 
he's one of those players that I think some people call him steady, but I think that would be underrating to the athlete that he is. I think he is just good in every area, right? Like he's in, if him and Peyton Bowen are playing together, Peyton Bowen's going to be the true free. That's going to play a little more on the roof, a little more from depth, but if Don Schuler can come down in the box, he can play in the slot. He can do some stuff working from depth. He is a physical dude, runs the alley like a bat out of hell. There is so much to like uh, out of the Don Schuler. I think his floor is incredibly high. And I also think that some people underrate his ceiling a little bit, right? Is it as high as Peyton Bowen's? No, it's not. But is it low? I wouldn't say it's a low ceiling. I wouldn't personally. I think that his ceiling is higher than people give him credit for. Not as high as Peyton Bowen, but I would also say his floor is also a bit higher than a Peyton Bowen is because there's technical issues that Peyton Bowen needs to continue to get better at. When you're comparing him, though, to Caleb Downs, I think Caleb Downs' floor and ceiling are both higher because he's just he's an elite yeah. prospect in my opinion. Yep. Finch, anything you want to add to that? I mean, I, I think Ryan pretty much nailed it. He's just a good football player. Kid's just a good football player. Why is the recruiting? That's guru. right. That's right. Paul Rose says, glad to see Notre Dame finally offered Dylan Edwards. Hope it's not too late for him since he is committed to Kansas State. But him on campus this fast has to be a good sign, right? It, I mean, yeah, it's it, – it, it's it's a good sign for sure. I would also say there is a little like you also have to do have to realize that we're hitting the dead period, right? So like he That's had to make yeah he to did have it. to yeah exactly if it was going to happen it had to happen right then right like he had to make that visit. So mm-hmm. there is a little bit of context to the visits, but also yes he wouldn't have visited. I don't think if there's no interest if there's not right. any intrigue absolutely. So it's a good sign for interest on both sides of the coin. We've talked a lot about it, Brian. You know it's. There's a lot dependent on Ronan Hannafin here. If Ronan Hannafin's in the class, then I think that the conversation comes, do we take the fifth receiver in the Micah, Micah T's role that we wanted mm-hmm. before? Because that's what this player would be. Either way, I love that Notre Dame's in on him because he's a legit 4-3 af- athlete. I mean, he literally just ran that recently at the Future 50. Very talented player who we, I think has gotten very overlooked because he's out of the state of Kansas. But, yes, yeah, so, I mean, Paul, to, for some context, the visit had to happen. But the fact of the matter is that he did make that visit. So that means that there yeah. is interest on that side. I think for me, I I, I, I don't see him flipping now. I, I'd be a little surprised by that. It's going to, to me, it's going to be, can they convince him to come back for a visit? Yeah. Because it wasn't an official visit, right? It was an unofficial. This time around. Yeah. You can't take unofficial. an official right now. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah. Gotcha. Yep. 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 Let's get to some more questions here. Really, really good stuff here today, everybody. Loving these questions. Domer Grizz asked this. He said, you, you said, you've said this in the past. Uh, Buckner's production may be lowered by blowouts that give opportunity to backups, but in order to blow someone out, wouldn't he have to rack up tons of yards and TDs before they pull him? No, because it's a different offense, right? Vince wants you. I mean, I'm sorry. I was going to say he doesn't necessarily have to rack up the yards and, and the points and all that, but the offense does. I mean, that, that would be the definition of a blowout, but it doesn't all necessarily have to sit on the arm and the legs of Tyler Buckner. Right. Um, now, some of his passing numbers could be inflated because it could be a look screen that goes the distance. I mean, that's a definite possibility. Um, and then the quarterback is obviously the recipient of those kind of yards. But the you know, would he have yards? Would he have stats? Yes, but they would still be not as big as if he played a full game. I mean, that's that's just common sense, right? And I'm hoping that Notre Dame is in the position to pull him after the third quarter, for example, so that he has the opportunity to sit down and let other guys get some opportunities have, have, uh, you know, drew get an opportunity to work with the ones, you know, that kind of a thing. Mm -hmm. I would love that to be the case, but 
it doesn't necessarily mean that Tyler Buckner's numbers are going to be off the charts after only playing a half of football. That's just, I don't think that that's the case based on how the offense is, is going to go. It's going to be spread out. He's going to be handing the ball off. He's going to be, you know, there's going to be some jet sweeps. There's going to be things of that nature to get the ball in other guys' hands. And I also think this defense is going to score some points too, Brian. Ryan, you got anything to add to that? Yeah, sorry, I thought he was kicking it to you. I, I would no. say this. I, I agree. I, 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 I want to give you guys more of a chance to say things, you know, to answer questions <laughs> before I jump in and uh, yeah, I, and, I would and dominate the conversation. Yeah, I would say that there's two sides to, to it. I mean, to Vince's point, I, I do think that it doesn't necessarily have to be a Tyler Buckner show for it to be to get to that level. There could be just you know they're running the football down their throat and you know Tyler Buckner scoring touchdowns in the red zone and the numbers aren't as gaudy like it's very there's context to that, but I would also say that there is another side that if you are getting to that level it's probably because Tyler Buckner's creating some explosive plays in the passing game right so it, mm-hmm. I think that there's it could be an either or I don't think there's a yes or no to this conversation I just think that there's it's going to be different each and every game against different opponents. The the other thing too is is like for me you guys have to understand is. Uh, not you guys, not you guys, but but people in stands is like, if Bryce Young's getting pulled out in the third end of the third quarter, he's going to have over 300 passing yards most likely. Sure, and you know four or five touchdowns because the offense is built entirely around him. Vince's point was spot on that, you know Tyler Buckner because of the type of player he is. Notre Dame may some of their blowouts may actually be because the other team is so focused on 12 that. Chris Tyree rips off three 50 right. plus yard touchdowns, and Audric estimates at a buck 20 by halftime. You know, and and Tyler Buckner's production isn't really there because they're so focused on stopping him that it opens up on the things. And it may open up some big play opportunities in the pass game, right? But even a 50-yard touchdown pass doesn't get you to 350 by the mm-hmm. time you get pulled in the third quarter if right. your offense is just different than what we see right. like in Ohio State or Alabama. It's just a different type of offense. So that's kind of what – and in a player like Tyler – like C.J. Stroud, for example, this isn't a criticism. This is just a reality. Bryce Young's another example. For them to impact the game, they need to produce – because of the style of offense they play in and the style of quarterbacks they are, meaning if Bryce Young's impacting the game, he's getting the ball out to his playmakers and all those kind of things, and his production will be there. Mm-hmm. Tyler Buckner, because of the style he plays, there will be games where he dominates the game, but his numbers aren't great because he dominates because he pulls the ball on a handoff and three guys run with him, like we saw from Wimbush several times in 2017, yeah. and Chris Tyree, Roderick Estimare, Logan Diggs are splitting through that gap, and no one's paying attention to them, and they're off for 50-yard touchdowns. Tyler Buckner impacted that play. Right, sure. It's just different than Bryce Young or C.J. Stroud because the, the only way they impact games, for the most part, is by getting the ball out to somebody else in a way that enhances their statistics. And that's that's another difference in, in yeah. it as well. And, and again, not better, not worse. It's just different style of offenses. They're mm-hmm. all great. They all work. Yeah, right. It's just a it, different style. What, what's the end game? Like, what do you need to do? Score right. points. That's what Notre Dame needs to do. And I don't care who's scoring the points, man. I, it doesn't matter to me as long as mm-hmm. those points are getting scored. That's right. <clears throat> all right. We got some more here. Uh, Father David Penny, obviously you want to limit the offense entirely, but if you're out golden, are you focused on trying to shut down the OSU run game? Or pass game. Vincent, we'll kick it over to you first on that one. This is a tough one because normally I would say the Ohio State pass game because that's Mm -hmm. what is super dynamic. That's what you see on the highlight film and all that. But Ohio State has a pretty darn good run game too. And the key is going to be to make Ohio State Mm one-dimensional. That's the key. So you got to make a decision. Is it the run game that you want to slow down to prevent 
you know, big plays in the run game? Or do you want to slow down the pass game and let them beat you with the run game? It's kind of a toss-up because Ohio State's offense is so dynamic. I guess if I had to choose one, I'm going to say I'm going to try to take away the pass game because there's so many weapons out there. But I think I don't think there's a right or wrong answer here because both are so dynamic. The key is to make them one-dimensional. So you got to pick one. You got to pick one. Whatever one that is, once you've gone through all your film study, okay, we got to take away one or the other. You got to do one. And for me, I guess I would go with the pass game. I, I would stop the run. Uh, that would be my yep. – my. I, that's where I would go for it because I think for this offense, like – it's going to sound weird. I'm not as worried at that Jackson Smith and Jigba and Emeka and Marvin Harrison Jr. are going to create long explosive plays. I'm worried that they're going to, you know, create chunk plays for sure. But Travion Henderson's the guy that really scares me as far as like he can hit a crease and he's gone, right? Like that's where the home run speed is on the offense, in my opinion. And then also I want to make them one dimensional, like Vince said, because I think the strength of Notre Dame's defense is their defensive line. And I want them to be able to kind of pin their ears back and hit and hit uh, CJ Stroud. Cause we just talked about it. He's not the most mobile kid in the world. He moves solidly in the pocket, but if you get after him or if you get after him and you're able to create that pressure, interceptions can happen. Fumbles can happen. Sacks can happen. A lot of negative things can happen right. in the passing game. A lot of positives can happen too for the offense but there's more negatives that could happen in the passing game than there are in the run game, in my opinion. I think Ohio State's run game can hurt you. I think Ohio State's pass game can hurt you. The reality is just you can't let them do both. And I think Vince is right on that. Ryan's right on that. I just feel like that you got to take away something, right? What's the thing that you can take away? And I think this is Ryan's point. What's the thing yeah. you can take away that then impacts the other part the most? And to me, it's stopping the run game. Because the way to stop sure. the run game is to dominate in the trenches, whether it be physically or schematically or a little bit of both. If Ohio State comes out in that game and they are genuinely balanced, and when I mean balanced, I'm not talking about the number of passes compared to, but they're just they're running on you when they want to, and they're passing yeah. when they want to. You have no chance, no chance. Yeah. The chance you have is to say, look, make them one dimensional. Because I've always believed I'm not most people like, oh, you, you don't want to throw the ball because something bad might happen. I, I hate that conservatism, but that comes from reality of there are more bad things that can happen in a pass play than in a run play. In a run play, what what's the worst can happen? right? You fumble, fumble the ball. It's pretty bad. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, but in a pass play, you can fumble, right? You, you can get stripped and fumble. You can have a ball tipped and intercepted. You can have a ball caught guy runs. He fumbles. Uh, you can have a missed throw that's good sales. I mean, there's so many bad things that can happen in a pass play. Good passing teams aren't going to have that happen a ton, but the point is, is if you can make them one dimensional, you have a greater chance of creating a mistake there than you do the other way around because uh, it, it, but here's the key: you have to be able to do it, guys, without overcommitting to the run yeah, game. Because absolutely. if you overcommit to the run game, now you're getting a bunch of one on ones in space, and that's not that's where you not want what to you want at all, <laughs> right? And, and and that's kind of what makes it a challenging one. But for me, you got to figure out a way to shut down the run game without it being a thing where you overcommit the way the yeah. teams have done to Notre Dame in the past. It's it's got to be about you know what are the O line matchups that we think we can dominate. And, and get our guys there. So, like, you know, I say, look, you know, we're field boundary defensive line, but we think Isaiah Foskey can just eat up Dewan James's, you know, lunch, right? You may then say, hey, let's put him in more of those matchups, even if it's not a field boundary matchup. Or you may say, hey, look, it's we like the matchup against Paris Johnson, or we like Jason Adamiola against such and such or whatever. 
you know, maybe it's something like that. Maybe there are some things you can see, you know, and then you do that in the run game, not just the pass game. And so what you're then doing is, you know, you're set, you're just taking away half of that line of scrimmage because you think you can dominate with that matchup or something like that. Right. There's all types of things like that, but it's going to be about being physical at the point of attack, resetting the line of scrimmage in your favor. And then the backs have to be clean when they, when they rally to an attack, uh, Travion Henderson, that's just going to be the key. And, and the other way is success on early downs. Stop their runs got to be two yards or less on early downs. If they do run, and you've got to create some incompletions because the other, the other way to, to limit the run game is Ohio State's going to throw the ball on first second down, create negatives, create incompletions, get them into downs and distances where they can't run. Then you don't have to worry about them running the ball. Right. If Behind it's third and 12 and they want to run the ball to Trayvon Henderson, let them run the ball to Trayvon Henderson because I think Notre Dame has enough speed on the back end and, and linebacker especially mm-hmm. where they can rally before he gets to 12, right? So those are the things that you look at too. Is early down success is a huge part of it, whether they're running or passing. So let's get to the next one. Good conversation, guys. I love football talk. We need more of that. Less recruiting, more team. It's I always feel that way when we're a week away from fall camp. I know, right? Stone door. In your opinion, what would be the best for CJ Carr to do in 2023? Ryan, I'll kick this to you. Mm-hmm. Prepare for the 2024 season. What what is the best? What would be best for CJ Carr to do in 2023 to be prepared for the 2024 season, mm-hmm. starting for his high school as a senior or reclassifying and possibly playing <laughs> as as, ba- as backup at Notre Dame, starting for his high school team as a senior. I want him to have as much experience yep. as possible. I want him to continue to develop. I do not want to force a reclassification. I want to keep it very simple. Let CJ Carr be a 2024 recruits. Let him be a kid because the minute yep. he gets into the college campus. He is 100%, well, not 100% because student. you have to be a student athlete, but you are a football player, and that's going to take up a large portion of your time. So enjoy your time now. Keep developing. Play for your team. Yep. I could not agree more with that. I think that makes all the sense in the world because a month after he's done with his high school team, he's going to be at Notre Dame. Like, he will be an early enrollee. I have full, you know, confidence yes. that that will be the case. So all he's going to miss would be the 23 season in the fall Playing when he's not going to be – when he's not going to be playing anyway, he's going to be playing scout, scout team. team. Exactly. Right. He's not, he's not even going to be on the varsity. He's going to be running the opposition stuff. So right. no, come in in the spring because in the spring, there is no opposition. You're learning right. Notre Dame stuff. And so I would rather have him kick off his Notre Dame career, learning Notre Dame stuff, as opposed to learning the opposition stuff all season. And he has an opportunity to play his entire senior year let the kid be a kid to there's, a degree there's like, no greater benefit than playing right and now i don't think that there's going to be an opportunity for him to start as a reclassified freshman in the fall of 23 because what they would do is is if something happened where tyler buckner got hurt in the spring or you know summer or fall or he hadn't panned out they would just go get a transfer right that's exactly. that's what they would do absolutely so, yes and i i think the other thing too that we have to think about is cj is uh not lives does not live very far away from Notre Dame. There's going to be a lot of opportunities to be on campus and be in oh, some of those absolutely. meetings, right? Absolutely. If he's visiting for a game or he's visiting for a spring workout and you know next spring, there's going to be opportunities for him. There's no, there's nothing against the rules to say you can't on on an unofficial visit sit down in meetings with players. Yep, he'll be at spring practices. He'll be in meetings as a young kid. He'll get some of that mental knowledge. And to your point, Vince, that's what's so great about early enrollees. He's going to get a whole off season to prepare before his, the 2024 season. And I have no doubt that he's going to be an early enrollee. Right. right? I mean, we're talking right. about him reclassifying. He's definitely going to be an early enrollee. Exactly. Right. Exactly. 
So yes, that's. I mean, it's, I, I do think that I, I like the question. I mean, because it's out there and the reclassification mm-hmm. is a thing. I just feel like playing is better than sitting. Now, the Absolutely. other thing too is CJ's not exactly a big kid yet. Also agree with right? that. Yeah. So if he was like a, if he was an advanced physical kid, then I would maybe say, okay, you know, maybe let's do it. But I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm not. I've said this before. Personally, I'm not a fan of reclassifying. I really don't yeah. like it. Right. For football. Sure. I actually have a little bit of a different view for basketball, to be honest with you, because That's the way the time. NFL NBA draft now is they're, they're sure. taking projects in the in the lottery anyway. And, you know, and, and it's almost like if by the time you hit like that two in front of your name, that's like considered like a negative going into the NBA draft. You know, like he's already 21. The guy's like about to retire. He's got, you know, cranky knees and grandkids now. That's how the NBA <laughs> a lot of times treats like these these kids it, that I, have the audacity to play, Wesley, you know, so. stay in high school for or college for three or four years, you know. So um, it's just it's just a different animal, different yeah. game, different type of sport. I think football is such a more physical grind yeah. and physical sport. And there's so um, much physical development that occurs. Right. When Baseball, 16, I would have a different 17, opinion 18. in. Right. I just yeah. football is just a different animal for me. So it's not it's not just the whole let these kids be kids thing for me. It's also the the aspect of you know. It's, it's a different animal. And yeah. a lot of these, most, 99.9% of kids are not prepared to handle the physic, the the physicality of college football, the physical right. requirements of college football when they're supposed to be seniors in high school. It's just right. rare. Right. It's just rare. So, very good question. Yeah, really good question, actually. Ryan, Brandon Plensner says, uh, B. Ryan, do you think Notre Dame should push for a fifth defensive lineman in 23 or save the scholarship and take a bigger D-line haul in 24? The board seems to be pretty deep next cycle. What say you, Ryan Roberts? That's a great question, honestly. I think that I don't think there's a wrong answer to it, Brandon, necessarily. Like, if they like Blake Purchase enough and he's interested to come to Notre Dame, for instance, or – you know, they just added another defensive end out of Tennessee to the board as well. So, like, if there's a guy that they like, I'm not against pushing it to five because you were interested in pushing it to five, obviously, with Jason Moore. The the question is, do you like anybody near to that degree, right? If, mm-hmm. if you do, then sure, I'm good with you adding another guy. Like, if you look at Blake Purchase and you're like, that's a dude, we would love to have him, like, yeah, that's fine. But I'm also not against, so I'm, I'm kind of doing a cop-out answer a little bit. I'm pulling a Brian here, but I don't think there's a wrong answer to this question. I'll just wait for a reaction. Didn't no, the reaction is going to come. You were expecting during the show? No, I, no, it's not going to happen. Oh, the show. No. I think he's cataloging. He, you know, didn't wear any IB gear. He's throwing shade at the what, ball. Wasn't paying attention to when Vin, when I was reading the question, starts answering exactly the wrong way. Yeah, so. <laughs> Button up. Get yourself right, Roberts. <laughs> I got you, man. I got you. But I, the point is, is that I don't think there's a wrong answer to the question. Because, Brandon, to your point, I do think it's a really deep class in 2024. So, if Notre Dame is evaluating right now, and they're saying there's a player in 2023 that they like as much as they like maybe a kid in 2024, then I say take that kid. But if he's not a player that you don't love, then I would save that yeah. number for 2024. That's a good uh, – the last part of your answer, I think, is the best part. Like, if it's somebody you love, you can't do without, you take them 100%. But if it's somebody that you uh, – then you push it, and right. I have no problem with that. 
Yeah, I, I think the only mistakes would be would be things like that. You know, not taking a kid you really like because you think you may get a kid next yeah, year. Right. You know, if you evaluate a kid as a potential difference maker, or I think this is more of the case for the offer to Blake purchase, a guy that fills a niche that we just don't have right now that we can't right. wait for 2024 to fill, then I could see a situation like that as well. Right. Uh, but yeah, you don't take one just to take one. You take one because you really feel this guy can be a difference maker for us. Uh, I think that I'd be okay taking that because you don't know for a fact you're going to get Elijah Rushing or Jayshon Ross or Nigel Smith sure. or the Smith Twins. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, the board's impressive, but it doesn't guarantee you that you're going to get there. Like, like what if the current class comes in, Tyson Ford's balling out this year, right? Go Byra or Burnham mm-hmm. are balling out. Gabriel Ruby or Onye step into the mix. The freshman class steps in at 23, and they're just ballers. And the kid in 24 is like, yeah, I like Notre Dame a lot, but uh. I'm going to go over here where the depth, I, I think that's what kind of impacted Jason Moore a little bit. And it, it's not a bad thing. It, yeah. Kids should look at the depth chart to a degree. It just shouldn't be the only factor. Right. Oh yeah. Sure. But if you're Jason Moore, like, you know, two great programs, blah, 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 blah. And, but I see a much quicker path where the top guys that I'm going to be battling against Ohio state are going to be kind of in their last year or gone when I get there. Right. Where mm-hmm. the guys in their name are a year ahead of me or in my class. It's legit. Sure. You know, so sure. I think, and oh, by the way, Notre Dame's already got one stud D end in their class already in 2024. So yeah, I, you know, I'm not one of those, you know, burden hand things and all that because, mm-hmm. you know, sometimes you play the game, we're going to take that risk. Risk has right. to be a part of this to really build it, but I'm not turning down a, you know, a, a, an impact kid just because I want to save a spot for next year. And I just, that's, that's just not how I would do it. But very good question, Brandon. Very good question. Sean Kane said, besides the Rocket, who was Notre Dame's best player in your lifetime to not win the Heisman Trophy? Wow. Manti. Mm, it came in second. I was going to say Harrison Smith. I don't know if that's uh, – was... Zach Martin? Zach Martin or Harrison Smith? One of them. Well, I'm going to – Quentin Nelson. Gonna... Yeah, Quentin Nelson. I'm going to go with – I'm going to go with a guy that actually <clears> – <throat> And your guys' questions are fair, and you're answering the question. I'm going to go with a different answer. I'm just going to answer it more from the standpoint of who's actually a legitimate candidate for the Heisman, right? So quarterback, running back, receiver. I'm going to say Brady Quinn because I really felt in 2006 Brady Quinn should have won the Heisman. I, I just I Who thought he was just uh, Troy no. Smith. Troy Smith. Oh, yeah. yeah, and then Darren McFadden was the runner-up. Brady was third, and I'm sorry, Brady was just the best player in college football i thought that year i mean notre dame goes 10 to 2 for one reason one reason only brady quinn you know and he put up great numbers 37 touchdowns seven picks i mean he just was a heck of a player that year notre dame it just he got so much hype coming in that all people did was just pick his game apart every week you know mm-hmm. but i'd say i'd say brady probably of, of the guys that are legitimate you know people, some people may say tony rice in 89 but my whole thing is is I don't know if I would even say Tony Rice was Notre Dame's best player in 89. You know, I mean, he was dynamic and he was the leader and all that. But I mean, Rocket was the more dynamic player. Ricky Waters, you know, those guys were actually better players. Tony was just the trigger man. So I'd, I'd go Brady Quinn of guys that I think are eligible to win it. If I'm just going to go best overall player, with all due respect to all the other guys that have played in Notre Dame, there, there was a more dominant player in Notre Dame, uh, in my opinion, than, than what Quentin Nelson was in 2017. And he was just the most dominant football. I mean, he was to Notre Dame in 2017, in my opinion, what Orlando Pace was to Ohio State in the mid-90s. Like, he was that dominant, in my opinion, his he last was, two seasons. 
He was the best player in the draft that year too, but he was mm-hmm. a guard. So <laughs> that says a yeah, lot. I mean, that says a lot. TB12 for Heisman. What do your wide receiver and DB group looks like in your not too early? It's definitely too early. Uh, <laughs> your not too early 2004 mock class. What? So basically like, you know, right now, if you had to do like a mock draft class for 2024, uh-huh. who would kind of be on your receiver and DB wish list? Are, are, we, are we talking about, we're, we're talking about recruiting here, right? Correct. We're talking about NFL Correct. draft. Okay. Yeah. I'm just making Correct. sure we're not talking yeah. about 2024 mm-hmm. NFL draft. Cause yeah. you know, there are some people that put out those mock drafts now. Right. So I'm just, for oh yeah. Or, yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh, oh, yeah. Something Dude. about like 2025 are out there, man. It's crazy. Like, Ooh, it's there was Lord. one last year I saw that had a bunch of high school kids on it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's the yeah. dumbest thing I've ever heard. So, but for so, clicks, agree. baby. It's agree. for clicks. Yes. <laughs> so I apologize to TB12 for Heisman. That was where my, my face was like that. I was like, are you asking me a 2024 NFL <laughs> mock draft right now? Is that what's right. happening? Okay. I'm sorry. We're going back to the side of things. Yes. So my, my, I mean, the dream class, in my opinion, a wide receiver would be Brian Wingo, Micah Hudson. You already have Cam Williams in the class. And then honestly, after that, take your pick. <laughs> like, I'll, right. I mean, Emmett I got to throw Emmett Mosley sure. in there because he's yeah. a Notre Dame guy. Yeah. Emmett Mosley, sure. Brunel Richardson, sure. Mylon Graham, sure. I'm good with whoever you want to throw in there right. at that point. Tysir Ty- Denmark, sure. All I yeah. know is the best two receivers that I have seen, though, in this class are Micah Hudson and Ryan Wingo. And then, right. of course, Cam Williams is already in the class. So that would be wide receiver for me cornerback is an interesting conversation because I, I would have Caleb Beasley in that group. There are some dudes on this board though, man, there are mm-hmm. some absolute dudes. If I, so I'm going to do two corners and two safeties. I'm going to keep it easy. I will go can't, I, I will go Caleb Beasley and uh, Emilio guard, I guess it's, it's tough though. I mean, mm-hmm. Aaron Scott's a good, a really good player. I'd go with one of the two Ohio kids. Honestly, yeah, I was gonna say Aaron, Aaron Scott is a good him player. and Bryce, Bryce West, West are both very good. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's I mean that's picking. Well, I'm, I mean, I'm going to go three corners because I I okay. do think Notre Dame wants a third corner because I really think they like Eli Bowen in that like nickel role early I, on. And if if I'm yeah. if I'm going if I'm going to three corners and yes, I'd like Eli as well. Yeah. Obviously in the in that department as well. Safety Peyton Woodyard's an easy one for me. He's got Notre Dame ties as well. He's a fantastic player out of St. John Bosco. And then the other safety man is tough. You know who I really like, Brian? I mean, but I mean, again, we're talking, we're picking hairs when we're talking about guys like Mike Matthews on the board and Gabriel Williams. That that is a really talented kind of safety rover type. Zaquan yeah, I view Patterson. him definitely more as like a rover type. Yeah, sure. yeah. Zaquan Patterson out of out of the state of Florida is a baller. I really like Ricardo Jones out of Georgia. Yeah. He's a long six three hundred ninety pounder. I I really like his film a ton. I'm, so since I'm going to give you a list of names at DB, I'm going to just pick my four at receiver. So if I had to say what would be a, a dream scenario, I would say it's going to be Ryan Wingo, Cam Williams, Micah Hudson, and and Emmett Mosley would be my would be my four. The reason I'm going with Emmett Mosley over Mylon Graham is number one, I think Milam likes other schools more right now, and number two, I think the nice thing about Emmett is he does give you a player that can do other. He could go play corner if the need arose. I think he sure. brings that to you. But if you're going to get Mylon Graham, I'm thrilled with that. It's just more of like, just don't think he likes Notre Dame right now as much as Notre Dame likes him is why. A cornerback, give me, obviously, as you mentioned, uh, give me Caleb Beasley. And after that, it, uh, give me Caleb Beasley and Eli Bowen. Give me those two. 
right? Because Eli starts off as a nickel, and I think it'd be a great nickel that could also play outside. And everybody knows my stance on Caleb Beasley. After that, give me any any one of Emilio Agard, the two kids from Ohio, which is Aaron Scott, Bryce West. Uh, I, I really like Braden Lee a lot as well. And then Kobe Black from Texas. Those are the guys that I would say. Give me one of those guys to go with that group, and I'm thrilled. Kobe At Bryce safety, yeah. You know, I, I like Peyton Woodyard a lot. That he's he's fine, but to me, it's just give me any two of of um, Bronte Johnson, Ricardo Jones, Mike Matthews, uh, Zaquan Patterson, Gabe, uh, Peyton Woodyard, and Kosh Sanders. I like Kosh Sanders a lot out of out of uh, Catholic. Catholic. I like him yeah. a lot. I haven't seen the kid from uh, a Don Schuler's high school yet. So that's why I didn't uh, mention Touré. him. I just I haven't seen Toure yet. That's why he's yeah. not on my list. So that's that's anyone like oh he doesn't don't think, I've never seen him play yet. I just haven't had a chance to get to him yet he's, in my evaluations. I, I think you'll like him, Brian. He's more free safety to a Don Schuler strong okay. safety. He's a little more range on the back end than yeah. a Don. Yeah. Once we dive into twenty four, I'll have a chance to look at him. But I only leave him off because I just haven't seen him yet, and I can't say I want them to land a kid that I haven't seen play yet. So that would be my early. My way too early list for 2020. When are we starting to dive into 2025 is the question. Oh, my God. I got a See, kicker for you in the 25 class. Okay. Uh, does he live in my neighborhood? He lives upstairs. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> That's my neighborhood. <laughs> <laughs> um all right, uh, let's see here. Brandon Plenster <laughs> says, is Notre Dame pushing hard for both Jeremiah Love and Dylan Edwards, or is it more of a battle for one spot? I would love to see them both in the class. Let me say this right now. Jeremiah Love is not battling with anybody for a spot in Notre Dame's class, right? That's, so that's fair. There is no doubt. Um, just I'll, can, Ryan, I'll just answer this one quickly. Sure. I, I think at the end of the day, we talked about this yesterday, I think Notre Dame would take Love, Hannafin, and Dylan Edwards. But if if they got Hannafin and Love first, I'm not I, I I don't we don't have enough intel yet to know if they would still take Edwards. We just don't have enough intel. And I don't want us to kind of jump into the guessing game of they wouldn't take him if they got those other two guys. And then that gets back to Dylan Edwards. And we're not repeating intel that we are comfortable with that we've gotten from Notre Dame. So but I do know this for a fact. Jeremiah Love and Ronan Hannafin are guys absolute Notre Dame absolutely wants, loves, and would have a spot for at any time. Dylan Edwards, I think, is more of just like a this kid is kind of broken out this summer. He's had great camp performances. His speed is tremendous, and Notre Dame is looking for more playmakers. And because of how certain things have gone in other positions, I think that they're kind of back to feeling like they may have room for a fifth receiver, and they're just evaluating if Dylan Edwards is that guy. And right. I think that's kind of where they're at at this point in time. But he's not going to take anybody's – he's not going to take Love or Hannafin's spot at this point and, in time. And I think for for this scenario, Brandon, I think it's – what's throwing a lot of people off is that basically every recruiting platform has Dylan Edwards listed as a running back. Notre Dame is not recruiting him as a running back. They are looking mm-hmm. at him as a slot receiver gadget type. So he would fit more into the and five wide Dynamic return man. Dynamic, yep. Dynamic return That would man. be nice. Yes, I know, right? I well, know, I, right? I think I, I think I say that though to to provide the point of if Jeremiah Love doesn't land with Notre Dame, they're not taking Dylan Edwards to play running back. That's kind of why I said that. Mm-hmm. Five Burkhart boys, thanks for all the for the mailbags. You're welcome. What's your over under for rushing yards against Ohio State? I'm going around 175. Call me suspicious of the O line play. 
till I see them block for the first time. If you're suspicious of the O line, you're giving them numbers one seventy five. I mean, that's I love. I'm digging that. Like, yeah, <laughs> you got some high hopes. That's great. You know, if, can I set if, the over under? Yeah, yeah, I love it. One forty nine and a half is my. Oh number. God, that's yeah, that's bad. Um, you think? I mean, like if they, if, if they if they go over and get to one fifty, I don't think Notre Dame can win that game. I, really, I don't, I don't think At they all. can beat them with one fifty. I. I I think the it would be I would be hard to believe that because I just feel like Notre Dame's going to have to run. I mean, just look at Ohio State's losses in the past. They just they don't lose often when teams aren't able to run the football. And you know, just I'll, I'll pull it up here real quick. Just some of the the, the their last several losses and what they've done uh, run defense wise. But like last year, we know right. Last year's obvious. They gave up two sixty nine to Oregon, two ninety seven to Michigan. The year before, their only loss to Alabama, they had 157. But Notre Dame doesn't have Mac Jones, Devontae Smith uh, rolling out on offense this year for them. 2019, their only loss was in the postseason to Clemson. It's 158. Again, that's with Trevor Lawrence at quarterback, right? I mean, that's just the reality of it. 2018, uh, their loss to Purdue, they gave up 161, but they were at 5.6 yards per carry. So, I mean, there's some losses where you've seen them kind of – but, you know, you Iowa, 243. Uh, you know, you just you just don't see it happen often, and especially with this current iteration of Ohio State that's so explosive. I guess what I'd say: Do you think Notre Dame could get to thirty plus points against them, barring turnovers, special team scores, if they're only at one hundred and fifty yards rushing? I I guess I I'm looking actually, at it differently, Ryan. I'm sorry, I should say this. I'm looking yeah. at the over under as what would the over under be to win? I guess, and that's not really how the question was asked. That's so, true. I, I, you know, I think that's probably like a better way to. to, to I, I would that. set the over under at one seventy five. Like yeah. that's where I would set it. If they're under, they lose. They're over, they win. I, I don't know if it's that yeah. simple, but it feels kind of that simple. Like Notre yeah. Dame, if Notre Dame is going to win this game, and they need to be balanced, they, yeah. they're not just going to win the game throwing the ball, and they're not just going to win the game running the ball. Right. They have to be balanced. Right. So I, I that's where they have to be, in my opinion. Right. Thought, response to that, Ryan, because I, I think I went a little bit different direction than what you're setting it. So I think th- what you set it at makes a lot of sense. But I just kind of had the immediate reaction, like, oh, gosh, 150. I don't know if that gets the job done. But that wasn't the question uh, right. from Burkowitz boys. So, I, I guess I guess my – I don't know. I just I just, I feel like 150 can still be a reasonable number depending on what the number of carries are. I, I, get, I get your point of, like, you know, you have to be a very balanced offense to run. But what if they mm-hmm. run the ball – 30 times for 155, for instance, and Tyler Bunker mm-hmm. has a nice day through the air. You know what I mean? Right. Like, I don't, I don't know. I just, it, it, I don't know. Just a little depend, dependent, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. Just in my mind. 